My name is Jonathan Hupp, and I'm a pastor here with Bluemont. And we are in week two of a message series we're doing called Taking a Stand. And it's all about the, the calling God has for each and every one of us to take a stand in the world for things that matter. And last week we, I said that we're going to spend about half of our time talking about how not to take a stand. And we kind of talked about that, how it's so easy for us to, and how the enemy, how our enemy tries to get us to be confused and take a stand on the wrong things in order to create division. And wow, have not the events of the last week here in Manhattan proven that out, for those of you that have been, been watching the news and so forth. A week ago, um, and continuing, you know, one of the biggest issues going on in our community has been all the, the racist events and the postings and things that have happened. And, you know, next, uh, this Tuesday, there's, there's going to be a unity walk on campus to take a stand against racism and that type of injustice. And I expect to be there. This is an incredibly important issue to, to take a stand on. But it's interesting how at least three of the purported racist events have been shown to be not actually racist events. First of all, the, the 21-year-old guy whose car was, was labeled with tons of horrible graffiti, very racist graffiti. It turns out it was a Halloween prank gone bad, and he did it himself. And it wasn't someone else being racist. The, the Jewish suck-it tent that was uh, supposedly taken down and thrown, into somebody, thrown against somebody's car, the, uh, it was actually, people saw the wind blew it over, and it just happened to blow there. And then, I don't know, this was just in the newspaper this morning, but the noose that was seen on campus a while back, now the, the authorities are saying, you know, that actually wasn't a noose. There was just a rope up in a tree. And the evidence is pointing to that that was not a racist thing either. And so it's so easy for us to get riled up about things and take a stand without really knowing what's going on. We talked last week about how it's essential that our life is lined up with the truth and how careful we have to be and how really the truth is not just an idea, but the truth is Jesus. And so when we are wanting to take a stand, we're not wanting to, to just take a stand to be, you know, making a lot of noise, but aligning our lives with who Jesus is and what he says. And that always involves, yes, taking a stand against injustice and things that are wrong and evil, but it's also from a place of, of grace, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And there's always this, this marriage of, of truth and grace. And even as we were worshiping this morning, I was so reminded of that, that you know, all of us should be slow to judge others because if we realize how much God has forgiven us, how much we have wronged God, and how his grace has been extended to us in Jesus, and his truth has come at the cross with him giving his own life to restore us and reconcile us and bring us into his life. And so this morning we're talking about living with conviction and the importance of, of having strong convictions and taking a stand. But all that has to be in the backdrop of, of being careful about this and having a place of humility as we do that. But we, we uh, deep in our hearts, we're looking, we're, we're made to live with conviction. That's why, you know, when, when issues like this come up, there's something that rises up in us, and we say, man, I want to take a stand about that. You look at the debates on social media, and there's something in people's hearts that they, we want to say, yes, that's wrong, this is right, something needs to be done about that. And that is a God-given, it's how he's wired us, with the with desire and a need for truth and for, and for justice. 
We look at the real changes in history that have happened. They have happened when courageous people took a stand. The, the Civil Rights Movement, one of the great uh, sparks of that was when Rosa Parks, a, a young woman, took a stand and refused to sit in the back of a bus any longer and sat up towards the front. And that actually was taking a sit, not taking a stand, but, you know, you get my drift. That, that made a difference in catapulting things to real change in, in our nation and, and really righting some wrongs that, that have been done for generations. We look at some of our greatest leaders. Probably the two most famous leaders in American history are George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, right? And both of them, what they're, part of what they're, what they're loved for, appreciated for, is, is the integrity of being willing to take a stand. Abraham Lincoln was known as Honest Abe. And he was kind of like, hey, no matter how depressing it was, he was going to be aligned with the truth. And George Washington, of course, is the famous story about, yes, I'm the one that cut down the cherry tree. And that's just kind of a funny kid story, but there's something that we appreciate that our nation's first president, there was an integrity in his heart of aligning himself with the truth that led to him being a person that we could trust. And really, the world is, is looking for leaders who are taking a stand with the truth. And those are the kind of people that people will trust and follow. Those are the kind of people that God has called every one of us to be. And that's why this matters, because people are looking for those that, that are living that way, who they can trust. And those are the kind of people who produce real change in the world as well. We're going to look today at, at Daniel chapter 1. It's a story, Daniel is an amazing book. It's, it's the story of this young guy, Daniel, and his, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and some other characters. They actually were, we're, we're going to read this, but they were, uh, is, they were Jewish youth who were taken into captivity to Babylon the most powerful nation on the earth. And God worked powerfully in and through their lives. And there are three times in this book where they took amazing stands and it made a difference, an incredible difference in the world to, to, show, to, to reverse injustice, but also to really show the world who God really is. And so we're going we're gonna to read through this, this whole chapter. It's not that long. It's, it's a really great story. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm just going to start reading here. Daniel 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed his vessels in the treasury of his God. So what the, the backdrop here is that for generations, hundreds of years literally, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, had been, un, been unfaithful to the covenant that God had call, called them into, to the relationship that God had called them into with Him. And God had been incredibly patient, incredibly merciful. He had given them chance after chance after chance to turn from their unfaithfulness to Him and stop following the gods of the nations around them and the immorality of the nations around them, and to, to be faithful to him and his ways. And he'd sent prophets, and prophet after prophet, and called people to follow him, and warned them of the consequences. And, but they continued to, to go their own way. And so finally, the judgment of God came, and the consequences for their sin came. And the nation of Israel was defeated by the, the kingdom of Babylon. And they were taken, many of the people, especially the leaders, were taken into captivity, 
in Babylon. So this is, this is modern-day Iraq, um, middle of the, the Fertile Crescent. And this was really seen as not only, you know, the, the nations would have seen this as not only, well, okay, th- there was a war here and this is what happened, but it would be a sign of the gods of Babylon conquered the god of Israel. And so when they came and they ransacked the city, they ransacked the temple, they took the, like the drinking vessels and the, the utensils of worship from the temple, they took them back to Babylon. It was seen as, oh man, you know, God's, God, the God of Israel is not as powerful as the gods of Babylon. This is the most powerful nation on earth. These are more powerful gods. And, you know, it's really similar to how many people would look at the state of Christianity in the world today. Many people would say that we are now in a place of going from, in the West in particular, in Europe, in the United States, or in, in North America, going from a place of Christianity being the kind of established cultural faith to where it's moved into a sort of post-Christian, post-modern world. And there's a lot of, rea- you know, there's, there's some reality to that as far as the, the changes in our culture. But, when I, but at the same time, just as in, in the story of Daniel, God is not defeated. And actually, this whole book is an incredible story of God using the events of history to expand his kingdom and show his glory. And he uses this, the, these events in incredible ways to not only show the nation of Israel that he's God, but to show the whole world. I mean, by the end of this, by the middle of this book, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of, of Babylon, is saying, There is only one God. And he is the Most High God, who is worshipped by the people of Israel. And so God has, has a way to turn these things around. It reminds me, when I think of how people talk about our culture, it reminds me of Mark, what Mark Twain said. After an obituary was printed that said that Mark Twain had died, but he was still alive, he said, the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. And that's kind of what, what is true about the state, of, the state of Christianity in the world today. There's a lot of talk about, oh, man, man, it's on the, on the de- decline. But actually, God is expanding his kingdom as, as he always is. And so, uh, here we find ourselves in this story. In verse 3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with understanding, endowed with understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature, language of the Chaldeans. A drink here. The Chaldeans is a; they were part of the people in this Babylonian empire and kind of can be associated with the nation of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so, from the exile, these, these young men, who were the cream of the crop, they were good-looking, they were intelligent, they were from the nobility of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, the, the king of Babylon, brought them into his court because he was wanting to pick from the very best to unify his nation and have the best, the best talent, the best, the, the best, most qualified leaders serving him 
and his empire. And so these, these individuals, Daniel and his, his friends, we're going to get to, but they were, they were among that. And it's interesting that, that yeah, they, were, they were chosen for a potential place of influence. They were chosen for a place of honor in, in the world's most powerful kingdom. In verse 6 it says, Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. And so they're chosen for this, really this, this great honor. That they have a chance to go to basically the world's greatest university to get three years of training, and they'll have a chance to stand before the king in his courts. And so they, they, they have a lot to grieve, a lot to, of, of loss. They've lost their homeland. They've lost the place of privilege that they would have had in Israel. But there's this kind of new opportunity, too, to, to, to be influential in this new kingdom. Um, but there is, and I just want to mention this, too, there is a price. And it mentions that the, the chief of the eunuchs, that, that's the, the leader of all these, the school, is a eunuch. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, it's, it's hard to describe it tactfully. But a eunuch is, is a male who's been castrated. And that's what the, the kings of the ancient world would do so that their servants wouldn't be a threat to their harem. They, would, they could trust them because they'd taken care of that part of their manhood. And it's, it's not stated explicitly here, but most Bible scholars would say that in all likelihood, that's what would have happened to all of these young men in this training process. That to be brought in to this, to, to be at the court of the king, yes, it's a great honor, but there was also a real price. And there was a part of their life that was very dear to them that they were going to have to sacrifice to come into this place of calling. And there's, there's a reality of that. And when God calls us, there, is, there are things that have to die. There are things that, that he puts that he says, okay, that, that is not going to, there are prices that we have to pay to come into all that God has for us. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. You can, you can figure it out from there. Um, I just want to say this, too. There's a, the next slide here, if we can show that. This is a diagram of the kingdom of God. And in God's kingdom is, is really big. He rules over everything, and biblically there are, there are five different areas or institutions that God has set up um, that are explicit in the scripture. Um, there's individuals, so we have an individual, we stand as individuals before God, and we, we're responsible to live for God and to see his, his kingdom come into our own lives. There's the family, which God set up at the very beginning of creation as something that his blessing is on and a means by which he brings his, his goodness and his ways into the world. There's the church, which is the called out people of God. And the church is called, a lot of times we think of that the church is the same as the kingdom of God, but it's helpful to see that no, the kingdom of God is much bigger than the church. The kingdom of God is God's reign everywhere. And all of these areas are, are part, of, part of God's reign. And so the church really has a job to speak the truth into all these other areas of society, all these other institutions, and help them line up with God's, God's ways to bring God's kingdom more fully. There's civil government, which is usually what we think of when we think of government. So that's, you know, national governments, nations. And that's where Daniel and his friends found themselves, in this civil government. And then there's the marketplace, or the business world, which God has set up as an important means of 
bringing his blessing into the world. And as we're talking about with, with faith, work, and economics, it's something very near and dear to God's heart. So Daniel and his friends found themselves in this civil government. And we find ourselves at our job. We all are citizens of a nation. Many, most of us here are part of a church community. We find ourselves in these, these parts of society. And they all have a plan from God. They all have ways they're supposed to function. But they all have ways that are imperfect. Right? I mean, think about your workplace if you have a job. Like, hopefully you can see some good qualities about your job, but it's not hard to find where it's messed up at the same time. Think about your family, all right? It doesn't, it doesn't have to go very far. Like, yeah, I love my family, but wow. You know, every, every family is dysfunctional once you get to know it. There's, there's like, wow, there's, there's stuff in here that's just, just crazy. You look at our government. You know, there's, it's, it's easy to see that, okay, this, there's a good plan, but things fall way short of where they could be. And so... We find ourselves, like Daniel and his friends found themselves, in an imperfect environment, but called to take a stand in that environment. And how, how are we to do that? And I just want to give us a couple principles for taking a stand in an imperfect environment before we continue on with the story of Daniel. The first thing God calls us to do, no matter where we find ourselves, is to help it flourish. Whatever environment we find ourselves in, God's calling for us is to help it flourish. And another prophet who lived at this, this time, Jeremiah, was speaking to the exiles who were going into captivity in Babylon. And he wrote to them in, in Jeremiah chapter 29, 4 through 7. He said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has ex- exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. You know, they were thinking, man, we want to, God's going to rescue us soon. We want to get out of here. We shouldn't really like mix in too much or you know, make a, find a home here. But God says, no, it's going to be longer. Help this place flourish. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry. Then have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. So that's God's calling for us in our families, in our jobs, in our school, as citizens of, of our nations, is to build it up and not tear it down. Not to be critical of the things that, that need to change, but to, 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 to be very much knit into the fabric of that environment and to be God's agents of, of healthy transformation and flourishing in those places. The second principle that we have to remember, is to uh, how to take a stand in an imperfect environment is to align ourselves with God. And really, we, we can't bring flourishing when we're not aligned with God and His ways. And so, there are many ways that we can, can serve and bless and help our families, help our, our jobs, help our nations, that, that, that are just... Get, well, just bringing our resources and, and helping improve things. But there are, there are times when the status quo contradicts God's ways. And when those situations happen, God has called us to align ourselves up with him and not with the culture around us. In, in Acts 5.29, the earlier follow, early followers of Jesus had a situation like this. 
And in this situation, we read Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles replied to the authorities of their city, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And so God's authority is the ultimate authority, and that is what brings blessing and what expands his kingdom, which, which brings blessing. So back to Daniel and his crew. How did they live this out in the, the place they, they found themselves in? Well, verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So as part of the, this, this school that Daniel and his friends were in, they had the best of the best training tables. They had all of the food, the very, the very food and wine that the king ate and drank, they had it available to them. But there was a problem for the Israelites. Because in God's law, he had told there were certain dietary restrictions that said in the, in the Old Testament law, because, if you are, because you are set apart from the nations, there's certain food you're not supposed to eat. There's certain meat. You're not supposed to eat pork. You're not supposed to eat certain kinds of seafood. 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 Wow, that's, that's, that sounds pretty tasty. Seafood. Um, and you've got to make sure that it's prepared a certain way. Meat there can't, have it, the, can't have blood in it still because the, the life of an animal is in the blood. And there are, there are messages behind these, these laws that the people of Israel had. And as, as followers of Jesus, that the New Testament tells us that those things have been fulfilled in Christ and were made clean, were made clean through his sacrifice on the cross. We don't have to follow those same dietary laws anymore. But for the Old Testament, these were a way that God had called people to set him apart and honor him as their Lord. It's also very likely that this food had been sacrificed to idols before, and especially because the wine, there was nothing wrong with drinking wine. Um, you know, it wasn't that they weren't 21 yet or something like that. But they, they're, probably it had been offered as, as libations or sacrifices to their gods. And so Daniel and, and his friends, they, they knew that there was a conflict here. That if we're partaking of that, we are aligning with the gods of this culture who are against the God of Israel. And so we need to set apart God as Lord in our heart and not let any other God be the, be the God that we're worshiping as, as the first commandment stated. And so they, they find themselves in, in this situation. And so Daniel and his friends resolved, we're going to take a stand here. We, we are not going to eat this food. And you know, I think, if you can imagine, there were a couple of reasons why that would be hard. Um, one is because, man, that food sure would be good, right? I mean, just imagine the king's table. and all oh, it's like a feast every day. And you've got plenty of red meat and wine and like the best of the best delicacies. I mean, that would be a real temptation. That's, that, that would be tough to turn down. Um, second reason is that, it's probably even more powerful, is that to question this arrangement was to put their, not only their careers, but their lives in jeopardy. And this was a, a culture where if you crossed the king, your head could be disconnected from your shoulders very quickly. You didn't go against that. And you see that later throughout this book of Daniel, that those situations came up. And, and certainly your career. Like, oh my God, I mean, this is a chance I have to be an official 
in this kingdom, but if I make a stink, man, that's bad for my career advancement. And so there's so much pressure to, to go with the flow and not, not stir things up. Um, and so what was it in, in Daniel that would, that would propel him to, to take a stand? And this is kind of a little bit of, of surmising, speculation on my part. But I think, like, I think this is an important question of what would be behind him being willing to take a stand? And I think the first reason is that what was most important to Daniel was his relationship with God. Daniel's name literally means God is my judge. And throughout this book, when people would describe Daniel, they would say about him, this is the man Daniel, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And that was in their incomplete way of understanding things. They knew that God was not only with Daniel, but in Daniel. That his relationship with God was so close that there was something different about him, that the people around him could detect that. And it was, it was evident and played out. And that was what was most important to Daniel. That didn't come just by happenstance. But it was because that's what he valued more than anything else. It's like, God, I want to be close to you. And I know that sin in my life could undercut my relationship with you. And I don't want there to be any sin in my life because my relationship with you is more important. And so that motivation was there. You know, I think a second reason, a second part of the motivation that Daniel had is that he wanted his life to count for God. That he had a sense of destiny. That God's hand is on my life and he wants to use me for his purposes. And he, he knew that, that sin or compromise would keep his life from being fully used for God the way that God intended. And I was thinking about this. My mom and dad are actually here this week. Say hi to them before you leave. They're, they're great people um, here on the second row. My, my dad... If you can't tell the resemblance, it's, it's my dad right there. But my dad, when he was in high school, he was a really good football player and played in college too, played at Baylor. And he tells some really cool stories about those, about those days and his training process. But one thing that stuck with me is he would say, you know, when I was in high school, I was really devoted to being the best that I could be at football. And because of that, I made a commitment in my heart that I wasn't going to drink soda, I wasn't going to eat candy, I wasn't going to eat chocolate. He did all sorts of other crazy things, like putting weights on his legs during his delivery jobs and you know, never taking the elevator, just doing whatever he could to go the extra mile. But it was like, man, that's okay, because there's a goal in mind, because there's, I want to maximize my life. I want to be all that I can be. I'm going to say no to certain things, because I know that that will keep me from fulfilling that destiny. That calling. And that's a really powerful motivation. Proverbs says that without a vision, people cast off restraint. But when you have a vision for your life, when we know, man, God has a purpose for me, there's something great that he wants me to do, then all at once, those things don't become such big temptations. They become like, oh, man, I will say no to that because I know that God has something more. And I don't want to miss out on the fullness of what God has for me. And so that's, that's what I believe was behind Daniel and, and his friends. So picking up the story, um, in, in verse 9, well, actually, yeah, let's read, no, actually, not yet. That was a lot of throwing at you this morning. So that was what was behind it. But then, so you make a decision, hey, I want to live with conviction. 
I want to live with strong beliefs. Um, setting the course for my life. How do we do that? How do we live with conviction? Well, to live with conviction, we have to be courageous. You know, it says Daniel resolved in his heart that he wouldn't do this. That took courage. Not all, you know, they weren't the only Jewish people in this school. Most of them didn't do that. They had the same background, the same belief system that they were familiar with, but only four of them were going to choose to honor God and live with conviction. The others didn't. That took some courage. Now, I think when we think about taking a stand today, it's easy to take a stand on the issues that are easy. I, and I, I hesitate to, I'm care, I want to be careful about this. But today, it's really not that hard to take a stand against racism. I'm not saying that we don't need to take a stand against racism. But that's the prevailing popular belief now. Now, 50 years ago, it was very different. But nobody's going to say, oh yeah, well, how, wow, how heroic, you know, how rare. It's, it's the, now the prevailing belief because people have taken a stand in the past at a great risk to their life. But the real stands are the ones that are culturally unpopular. And so, when the, when the president of K-State says, yeah, we're going to have this unity walk, and the leadership, everyone's like, yeah, that's a good thing. But how about if K-State said, you know what? On Friday, we're going to have a walk against pornography. We're going to take a stand against pornography because this is a real evil in our culture. This is objectifying women. And it is undermining relationships. It is feeding lust that is, the Bible says, God says, is a, Jesus says is adultery, cheating on your spouse. And it is a despicable wrong that is so widespread in our culture. And we're not going to accept it any longer. It's just okay. You know, I'm going to tell you, there wouldn't be as many people showing up for that march. The people who walked in that march, it would be a little less popular. Because the real stands that need to be taken are the ones that aren't as popular. We could, we could go on. If, if, if the president of K-State said, hey, you know, enough is enough. It's just wrong for us to say that parents would end the lives of their children before they're born. Man, let's just step back and see how, how wrong is that? How could we do that as a culture? That would be a little more controversial. But it's actually a much greater evil than the evils that are more popularly talked about. And so living with courage, it's not conviction until we're ready to pay a price. It's not conviction until we're sticking our neck out in an area that is, that is less popular. So to live with conviction, we've got to be courageous. The second aspect of living with conviction is we've got to take our cues from, from God's word. You know, it's so, if we're just trying to go according to our culture or according to what feels right, man, we get it wrong all the time. As the events of the past week and over and over, our last election cycle have proven, man, it's so easy to miss. We don't really know what's up, but God's word shows us what's up and what's down, what's right and what's wrong. Daniel's friends were taking their cues from God's law. They said, hey, this is how you follow God. This is 100% absolutely true. You can stand on that. And that's what they were basing their life on. And that's, that's the same God that God, God wants us to, to be basing our life upon. All right, back to the story, verse 9. 
So Daniel resolved not to do this. And, and the Lord, God, gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youth who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter. Now the next part of how to live with conviction is to be respectful and gracious. A lot of times we think of people living with conviction as the, the ones foaming at the mouth and being really loud. But there's a power of respect and appeal and gentleness. In, in 1 Peter 3.15, we're told, In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So recall, again, we're in these, in these environments, but our goal is to bring flourishing. Our goal is not to, to bring division, but to do everything we can to build things up, to build up the people around us, to bring flourishing. And so there's a power in respect and gentleness. Daniel had favor with these officials that were overseeing him. That was because of the way he had respected them, the way he had interacted with them, the way he had honored them. There was a favor that he had, he had built up through this process. And God wants us to, to, not in a compromising way, but in a loving way, win the same sort of favor in the environments that we're in. That we would be the people at our jobs that if we do speak up about something, our supervisors and our coworkers say, wow, I want to listen to them because they're the one that's working the hardest at this job of everyone else. They, get, they show up early. They're staying late. They're bringing energy and a good attitude. Now they're speaking out against something. Wow, I'm going to listen because of the attitude that they're bringing day in and day out. Proverbs 25.15 says, Through patience a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. You know, there's a power in, in standing for truth, taking a stand, living with conviction, but doing it with gentleness and appealing and winning people over that way. And we could you know, look through history at powerful people that God has used in this way. One of my favorite stories was a man named John Woolman, who during the time of slavery... He was a, a Quaker, which was a Christian denomination. And he was passionate about how evil slavery was. And, but his approach was to go to... There were a lot of people doing wild things. We think of John Brown in Kansas and bleeding Kansas and the, the blood that was shed over this issue. And ultimately blood did have to be shed to, to right that injustice. But John Woolman's approach was, was very different. He would arranged meetings with slave owners. And he started with people that were Quakers like him, but they were in states that had slavery and who owned slaves. And he would sit down with them and just open up the Bible and make his appeal to them out of God's word about why they should release their slaves and why this was wrong and how God's heart was for the slaves that, that, they, that they treated as property. 
And person after person after person thought were persuaded through his gentle persuasion and willingly freed the slaves that they owned through those means. And there's incredible power that we can have as we live with conviction, with, with respect and graciousness. Um, back to the story here. This is where it's getting good, wrapping up. In verse 15, it says, At the end of ten days it was seen that that they, Daniel and his friends, were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, that was a good thing, actually, than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What happens when they take a stand, when they live with conviction? God comes through on behalf of those who trust him. God comes through in incredible ways. They are not only survived, but they end up being promoted. They end up coming to a place of greater influence. And I'm not going to promise you that things will always go easy for us, or it's always going to be quite like this when we take a stand. There There are other people who give their lives for taking a stand. But in that, God comes through in our lives and through our lives when we take a stand. And that's, that last line is, is really insightful. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. King Cyrus was actually about five kings later, about 70 years later. That the, this, was the beginning, this story happens at the beginning of the Israelites' captivity. Cyrus was 70 years later when the captivity ended. And through all those regimes, all those kingdoms, it went from being the Babylonians to being the Persians. All those regime changes, Daniel was in those courts, in a place of prominence, in a place of influence. And God's name was honored, and all the nations of the earth had a witness of the one true God through the place that he had because he was willing to take a stand when he was young and then throughout his life. And man, that's the same thing God's calling us to. That's the same thing God wants to do with us. God wants to come through in our lives and through our lives as we trust him. As, as we close, I just want to ask, ask you, is, that, is there an area in your life, is there a temptation where, is, it, is there a temptation to compromise where God is calling you to live with conviction? God's calling you to live with, with strong belief that you will take a stand for. Is there something where, where you're being convicted to live with conviction. I want to ask, what would it look like to be faithful to God in this area? What would be faithful, look like to be faithful to God in that area? Not in the areas that, you know, our culture, or those around you say, yeah, yeah, that's important. But in the area God would be putting his finger on in your life, what would it look like to live with conviction in there? And, and I want to encourage us to, to go to those areas and to trust God, to take a stand, and to see him come through in our lives. Let's pray together and ask God to help us. Lord, 
First of all, we say that you're worth it. You are the Most High God. You're you're good, and and your kingdom is the, the hope of the world, the hope of our lives. Lord, thank you for the, that you not only give us the desire, but the ability to live with courage and conviction. This morning I ask that you would, you would help us to see where you're wanting us to live with conviction. And Lord, as, as we come before you, I pray that you give us the courage. I, and I pray that you would give us a vision, even an excitement, for, hey, God, I want to follow you into this. I want to see how you show up. I want to see what you do. I want to see you show up in my life and show up through my life. Lord, I trust you for that. We trust you for that. Lord, we look forward to to breakthroughs in our lives, to areas where we've been held back with fear and insecurity, to you setting us free and leading us into more. God, we look forward to stories of you helping us to bring other people into freedom and helping your name to be known in the world around us. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sounds good. I'm real good. <clears throat> we hope that you got something today to take home.